Aaron. As I was saying to the youngsters, I was saved in August 1963, so it's my... Uh, not golden jubilee, but my diamond jubilee. And it was a staggering event for me. Nothing ever was the same again. I met Ron, of course, who was a, became a friend. And I began, at the behest of uh, my pastor, the Reverend W.J.H. Hitchcock, to have a series of Bible studies with him to lead me to prepare for baptism, which took place on the 10th of November, 1963. It was all very new. I was a stranger to the Bible. I didn't know anything about anything spiritually. I didn't even have a Bible till the December when my aunt gave me one for Christmas. But as uh, the pastor was sharing the, the scriptures with me, one verse came out and struck me almost physically I, I hardly knew how to express myself but I had to and the verse was verse 9 if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness I stopped him in the study and I said, that can't possibly be true, can it? And he said, no, it is true. And it staggered me. Because even as a young Christian of three weeks standing, I said I had a problem with sin. And how could God possibly forgive me? I didn't know how. But this verse told me how. And... I had to ask him to repeat it because I said to him it sounds too good to be true but it is true and my life has rejoiced in the truth of that verse really ever since and that was the first time friends the very first time in my life I engaged with the Bible and it became a living book to me and that's a challenge to us all today, isn't it? Do we allow the scriptures to engage with us? To wrestle with us? To expose our hearts and to condemn us? And to comfort us? This was a great comfort. This was a promise that was so wonderful and so glorious. How amazing, isn't it, that the preaching of the word can feed and satisfy a congregation of so many different circumstances. Every single person can be blessed by the preaching of the word in a different way from the other person. How can that be? That's how God chooses it to be. Here is a comfort for one. Here's a challenge for another. And that we have all perhaps the uncomfortable feeling that God is dealing with us. Thank God for that. So when a Christian is saved, he's brought into living fellowship with Jesus through the Holy Spirit. It's not just a close relationship, but it's a sharing in the life of God himself. 
And it's a sharing in the life of the corporate life of the church of Jesus with Christian friends. I, I discovered something amazing as those months went by. God gave me a heart of love for every Christian in that church at Maud. And they love me. And regardless of age, some of my closest friends in that church were parents themselves with children my age. Here they were in their 60s and 70s and they became very close friends to me, looking out for me, taking care of me. Well, this is the verse then, obviously, that I want to speak on this morning because it's this verse, 60 years ago, this month, that engaged my heart in such a powerful way. And the subject is obvious too. The subject is when the gospel seems too good to be true. When the gospel seems too good to be true. It comes in 1 John, of course, and it's the wonderful letter written to assure and comfort and challenge Christians. And John writes in such a way that it's unambiguous. This is the most unambiguous letter in the Bible. What do I mean by that? Well, when you read it, you know exactly what he means. No flowery speech. He says it as it is. And how thankful we should be that that is the case. And that is the case, I, su I suggest to you, for all the Bible. And this comforting letter has been a blessing to so many. When the gospel seems too good to be true, it seemed that for me, as a young Christian of a few weeks standing. But here's the promise, and it's a surefire promise. It's a guaranteed copper-bottom promise. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Does your heart say amen to that this morning? If it says amen to that, it's a sign that God has dealt with you in Jesus through the word. How grateful we should be that God deals with us still today through his word, by his spirit. And we must be willing for that. And we must be looking for that. And we must be praying for that. That we don't become a stranger to Jesus. But his word is the fulcrum by which he speaks to us. And challenges us. And so the Bible became real to me living to me and I read this but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves oh that's a strange phrase isn't it we'll look at that in some detail later deceiving yourselves you, you know friends you can deceive yourself you can fool yourself well I wouldn't want anybody here to fool themselves really if anyone is a hearer of the word, says James 1, and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, 
for he observes himself and goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Well, God wants you to be a doer of the word. And you're saying, well, there's no real hope for me. Well, I'm saying to you, there is hope for you. If you're sincerely wanting to engage with God in the Bible, he's anxious to help you and lead you on. But you must be willing. And you say, well, how can I be willing? Well, this is another promise. He makes you willing in the day of his power. Is your heart prepared to be willing to yield and submit yourself to King Jesus? These are staggering words, wonderful words. What it is, it is today, I want to stress, it's so important not to deceive yourself, not to lie to yourself, not to fool yourself. To be completely open with God and his word. This is the danger. And again, James, uh, John is so unambiguous here. It's almost embarrassing. It is really. Look at verse 6 with me. If we say, now that's an interesting phrase because that's repeated actually. It continues to be repeated. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie. We lie and do not practice the truth. In other words, God wants us to practice the truth and not to lie to ourselves. Well, you've heard me long enough in the past to know my modus operandi, so to speak. I've given you the headings and I want to chop it up into manageable segments in headings for you and I to consider. So let's uh, start with the first heading. Let's remind you where we're going to go because here is a roadmap. Five things to say this morning. It sounds rather daunting, doesn't it? I'm not like the, the Puritan halfway through his message would say, and 17thly, <laughs> so, firstly, firstly, here is a dreadful possibility. A dreadful possibility. Verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. It's another form of lying to yourself, actually. That's what that means. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. That's another false claim comparable to verse 6, which I've just read. Here's the assertion that sin is non-existent. Some taught that in the church at Ephesus from which this letter was written. And John has to expose that and deal with that. If you go wrong with the doctrine of sin, you go wrong everywhere, quite honestly. So you and I must be sure that we have a Bible view of sin. There's sin and sins. When the Bible talks of sin, it's talking about the old sinful nature which we all still have. The Christian has two natures, an old nature and a new. The old nature is called sometimes in the Bible the flesh or sin, and it's expressed itself in variety of ways, and they're called sins. 
And there are some people who deny the very existence of sin within. I don't know how they can. If they've got their eyes open in the world in which we live, I don't know how they can. Do you? When I read the newspapers last month, and I, I read of a nurse in Chester who poisons babies, and the world can't cope with evil like that, how can they deny the existence of sin? I remember many years ago confronting this with two young friends of mine, drawn to the charismatic movement, who denied the believer has indwelling sin. They said, oh, we're free from the flesh. Wonderful, isn't it? Wonderful. I said, it's not wonderful because you're deceiving yourself. Really? And I read to them, I remember the diary of Robert Murray Machane, who was abhorring his inherent inward sinfulness. And they said, ah, he's under condemnation. No, friends. No. He, while the Spirit was sensitive to his shortcomings, and those two youngsters, sadly to say this, were denying the truth. Here is the dreadful possibility. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But secondly, the dreadful, the deadly result, the deadly result. What happens if you believe you have no sin in your life? What's the consequence of that? If you think you have no sin in your life, we deceive ourselves. That's what it says. We've been told if we stare at the sun without any protection for our eyes, we will blind ourselves. Yes. And that has been known to happen, sadly. Oh, to blind yourself to the truth, my friend. Don't ever let that happen, please. Many people today in high places deny the fact of sin, don't they? How they, how they, how they can, I don't know. Now, I'm, as I say, privileged to be involved with the open-air ministry of the open-air mission in South Wales these last five years. And we are confronted with denial everywhere we go. So I say to people, open your eyes, see what's happening in the world. Are you denying their sin and evil? A friend of ours uh, works, worked in a school and she was given a directive from the headmistress. You cannot now tell the children what to do. Uh, you must not direct them. They need only do what they choose to do. Are you kidding me? Daniela, are you saying this is, this is what you've been on? Yes, she used to say, yes. I say, I know what the result is, and so do you. Chaos. Yes? Yes. She said, well, I'm not staying here anymore. She changed her job, working in another department in the school. How amazing this is that educational authorities deny original sin. Where are we? As a nation, I can't believe it, really. Social scientists do not accept the Bible's teaching on the human nature. I was speaking to a young lad in Queen Street, 
Cardiff last year doing an open air and he was a student doing psychology and uh, he didn't believe the Bible and all this kind of thing. I says, have you ever read the Bible? He says, no I haven't. And I said, you want to do, become a psychologist? Yes. You really have no knowledge and understanding of human nature unless you do. I had to be quite straight with him really. I really was. I says, you claim to be a, a student with integrity and you, you want to help people as a counsellor, well, you won't do any good. I'm, I'm telling you, you won't do any good unless you read the Bible, what it says about the human heart. Jeremiah 17, verse 9, the human heart is desperately wicked. Who can understand it? That's true. That is true. And social scientists interpret criminal behaviour in terms of psychological or physiological or social causes. And when they're confronted by true evil behaviour, mm. undertaken even by children, they can't say a word. They have nothing to say. But the Bible's everything to say. Everything to say. Um, you think you're being very controversial this morning, Jeff? Well, yes. <laughs> Has anything changed, I say? No. So, here, here is a scripture from Psalm 14. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They've done abominable works. There's none that does good. And you come with me next Tuesday on the streets of Newport, where God willing I will be, that will be demonstrated to you within moments the deadly result we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us and then thirdly thirdly the deliberate confession here's the great contrast that John delights in in his letters it's black or white it's this that or that way it's, there's no compromise with John as I said earlier, no ambiguity whatsoever. And I, my heart rejoices in that, actually. Here's this wonderful verse, full of such promise to me, as a young Christian of a few weeks standing in this baptismal class. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This was the first time the Bible resonated with me. I said, this is too good to be true. And the pastor said, no, Jeff, it is true. I don't thank you. What a relief. What a relief this was. How thankful I was. Well, I'll, I'm going to explain what we mean by confession here. It's confession, of course, to God. It's an old-fashioned concept. We hardly think of it nowadays. But this is part of what we would call godly sorrow, which is a hallmark of true repentance. We read this in 2 Corinthians 7. Confession to God is to bring out our sin from all those self-justifying excuses to blame shifting techniques oh it's not my fault 
it's his fault. I had a, a case many years ago at Hope Chapel with a very difficult uh, individual. Oh, he says, when I speak like that, it's not me speaking, it's my mother speaking. I said, no, it's not, it's you speaking. So don't blame your mother when you should blame yourself. So we confess and lay aside self-justifying, blame-shifting techniques and confess all to God. That's what I want you to do. Anyone here, and you're not a Christian, you don't know the Lord, but you sense God's dealing with you. Well, get alone and seek God and confess all to him and say, I don't know how to come, I don't know when to come, but help me, Lord. And he will confess all to him. Is there ever confession to man? Well, not to a priest, certainly. Not to a priest. Confession not to a priest, that's altogether wrong. To obtain sacramental ritualistic forgiveness, which is none. So it's a nonsense. But there are times if we've offended someone, we need to confess to that person, right? That is rare occasions where that happens. You're conscious that a fault you've You've hurt someone, you've offended someone somehow, you have a grudge to someone, you need to put that right. That's, that's justified, of course. I've got a painful memory here, very painful memory in 1969. I had a grudge against a lecturer at London Bible College. And uh, no one knew about it, only I. I bore this grudge and it was unjustified. And I, tr I tried to pray and couldn't pray. I tried to carry on serving the Lord and I couldn't. My conscience was telling me, go and put it right. Which I did and confessed to him. I confessed. Graciously, he lovingly forgave me. But how hard it was. It, it's never meant to be easy and it isn't easy because it offends our pride. It depends our pride. And one wonderful verse I came across as a pastor and used again and again. And I said, Lord, thank you. You've given this verse to help me in my pastoral ministry. It, it, it was amazing. And it, it was a verse that you, you, you couldn't escape from. And this was the verse, and I've used it time and again. He, Proverbs 28, verse 13. He who covers his sin will not prosper. But whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Well, what a verse that is. Have you have a problem with a brother or a sister? And you know it? And perhaps only you know it. Well, I would say, go and put it right and confess to them. It's humbling because it demands humility. I remember I heard this statement or this little verse. It's not enough to say, I'm sorry and repent 
and then go on from day to day just as you always went. Repentance is to leave the sins we loved before and show that I in earnest grieve by doing them no more. So here is this deliberate confession. And secondly, here is the definite, fourthly, here's this, we're on the number four, we're working our way through. And here is number four, the definite blessing. Here's this wonderful promise that staggered me, stunned me, those 60 years ago, absolutely stunned. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Is that too good to be true? No, that is true. That is true, my friends. Here is the gospel of God's amazing grace. Here is a hope for everyone who takes sin seriously, the word seriously, and above all, takes God seriously. Do you? I hope you do. Young people, do you? Because when you do, and have God's help and blessing, your life changes. That's for sure. As my life did those 60 years ago. Here am I, I'm sitting in this baptismal class with another girl, she's called Janice, and, and I, I'm staggered by the word of God. I'm just staggered. And I thank God so much for engaging with me for the very first time in my life with the word of God, the Bible, which became living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Wow. I can remember it now. And I thank God for it. God is faithful to his promise. He always has been, you know. And he always will be. If he didn't, he wouldn't be God. Here is some scriptures from the, uh, the word of God from Jeremiah. This wonderful promise from Jeremiah chapter 31 speaks to us of a, a new dawn, a new coming, which is going to be transformative for the whole world. Here is Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 34. No more shall every man teach his neighbour and every man his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin will I remember no more. To say that's true of you is life transformative, is it not? It's the same as saying in Galatians 2.20. It's the same as this. The Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. How wonderful that is. From Hebrews, we have these wonderful scriptures. Hebrews is the book that unites the Old Testament really with the New Testament. It, it 
it weaves it in so wonderfully and so perfectly. It, it's very wonderful and very deep. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their deeds and their lawless, their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. Hebrews 10, 17. Their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. How thankful. When we sin, we know what happens, don't we? It spoils, spoils and mars our fellowship with God. Sin's always a spoiler. Here is the need to get and obtain forgiveness and cleansing of our unrighteousness. And only the gospel provides this through Jesus. Only the gospel. The removing of the pollution that comes to us by sin. There comes therefore a renewal in the Holy Spirit and change. God's mercy, my friends, and you know this as well as I, is never a, an enticement to sin, never. The one who confesses and has two fingers crossed behind his back saying, well, I'll keep my options open and then if opportunity comes and I can sin that way surreptitiously so much the better for me I say that person is in all likelihood not a Christian the last thing I want to say is the deliberate or the, rather the disgraceful slander verse 10 Here is a slander. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. Here's that third false claim that John exposes. And it's the worst of the three. Because we're not making ourselves a liar, we're making God a liar. And that's blasphemy. If we say, again that phrase is repeated and repeated isn't it did you notice this in chapter one if we say for it's possible to say some have been saying this in the church at ephesus where john is writing we we've not sinned what are you talking about sin he sinned no you're making god a liar and his word is not in us his word is not in us this is a disgraceful slander God has said you're a sinner and you say, no, I'm not. You're making him a liar. No, that can't possibly be. But we know from Genesis to Revelation, the plan of redemption is based upon the premise of the sinfulness of man. No sin, there can be no saviour of sin. The gospel becomes irrelevant, but it's not, my friends. It's not. Romans chapter 3 and verse 4 tells us this. Let God be true and every man a liar. Modern man denies this. Hates to be reminded of sin. 
but walks in darkness. The world and its culture ever deny this sad reality that is before us that we know so well. But what a joy it is to experience God's forgiveness. God's loving forgiveness. His cleansing of our hearts and the clearing of the slate and giving us, giving us his righteousness. It sounds too good to be true, but it is true. What a blessing to know this gospel and to know this saviour. His loving forgiveness. Have you that knowledge of his loving forgiveness? You say, I don't know if it's possible in my life. You don't know what I've done. Well, I don't need to know. But tell him. And God will forgive. And that forgiveness will be your blessed reality in your life. And it will change you just like it changed me and many here. And may God bless his word. Let's pray. Thank you for your